0: Chapter Twenty-Eight of Cripps the Carrier by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty-Eight: Boots on. When a very active man is suddenly laid by the heels, sad as the dispensation is, there is sure to be some who rejoice in it, even if it be only a zealous clerk, sausage maker, or grave digger, thus upset in his activities there are one or two compeers who rejoice in the heart while they deeply lament with the lip not that they have the very smallest atom of ill-will about them they are thoroughly good-hearted fellows as are nine men out of every ten and within as well as without they would grieve to hear that their valued friend was dead still for the moment and while we believe as everybody does about everybody else that he is sure as a top to come round again it is a relief to have this busy fellow just out of the way a bit and there is an inward hugging of the lazier spirit at the thought that the restless one will have received a lesson and be pulled back to a milder state be this view of the matter either true or false in a general way at least in this particular instance the illness of russell overshoot some of it seemed to apply right well there is no one who wished him positive death not even of those whom he had most justly visited with the treadmill but there were several who were not sorry to hear of this check to his energies and the foremost among them might be counted mr luke sharp and the great john smith mr john smith had surprised his friends and disappointed the entire public by finding out nothing at all about anything after his one great discovery made with the help of the british army for some cause or other best known to himself he had dropped his indefatigability and taken to very grave shakes of his head instead of nimble footings he feigned to be very busy still with this leading case of the neighbourhood but though his superiors might believe it his underlings were not to be misled all of these knew whether mr john was launching thunderbolts or throwing dust and were well aware that he had quite taken up with the latter process in the beckley case why or even exactly when this change had occurred they did not know only they were sure that the reason lay deep in the pocket of mr smith which conclusion as we shall see did no more honour to their heads than to their hearts but still whatever his feelings were or his desires in the matter. The resolute face and active step of this intelligent officer were often to be seen and heard at Beckley, and to several persons in the village they were becoming welcome. Numbers Cripps, the butcher, was moved with gentle goodwill towards him, having heard what a fine knife and fork he played, and finding it true in the squire's bill. Also, phil hiss of the dusty anvil found the fame of this gentleman telling on his average receipts and several old women who had some time back made up their accounts for a better world and were taking the interest in scandal hailed with delight this unexpected bonus and true premium to mention young spinsters would be immoral for none of them had any certainty whether there was or was not any Mrs. john smith rustic modesty forbade that the carrier should be asked to settle this great point directly still there were methods of letting him know how desirable any information was at all these symptoms of renown when brought to his knowledge mr smith only smiled and shook his head he had several good reasons of his own for hunting the village as he did one of them being that he thus obeyed the general orders he had received also He really liked the squire, his victuals, and his domestics. Among these latter he had quite outlived any little prejudice created by his early manner. And even Mary Hookham was now inclined to use him as an irritant or stimulant for the lukewarm crips. But being a sharp and quick young woman, Mary took care not to go too far. "'How is the fine old gentleman now? Mary, my love, how is he?' mr smith asked as he pulled off his cloak in the lobby just after church-time and just before early dinner-time on the morrow of that saturday night when esther set off her shot over although it was spring she had not gone alone but had taken a son of the butcher with her the effect of that quarry scene on her nerves would last as long as she did mary was bound not to answer mr smith whenever he spoke in that festive way That much had been settled betwixt her and her mother remembering what a place beckley was but she did all her duty as a good maid should in the way of receiving a visitor she took his cloak from him and she hung it on a hook most men wore a cloak just then for walking whether it were wet or dry and part of the coming tractarian movement was to cast away that cloak and then Mary saw on the feathery collar a leaf-bud that threatened to become a moth, according to her entomology. This she picked out, with a shoe and a shish, as she trod it underfoot, and Mr. John Smith, having terror of insects and being a very clean man, recoiled just when he was thinking of stealing a kiss. This little piece of business placed them on their proper terms again. "'How is your master, Miss Hookham? I hope to find him getting better.' everything now is looking up again no mr smith he is very sadly thanking you sir for inquiring of him he do seem a little better one day and we all begins to hope and hope and then there comes something all over him again the same as might be this here cloak sir thrown on the head of that there stick but come in and see him mr smith if you please i thought it was the rector when you rang but master will be glad to see you every bit the same as if you was no doubt john smith who was never to be put down by any small comparisons followed quick Mary with a steadfast march over the quiet matting potters with their broken shards had not yet made it a trial to walk and a still greater trial to look downward on the road to dinner in the long old-fashioned dining-room sat the squire at the head of his table for many years it had been his wont to have an early dinner on sunday with a knife and fork always ready for the clergyman who was a bachelor of middle age the clergyman came or did not come according to his own convenience without ceremony or apology i beg you to excuse said the squire rising as smith was shown into the room my absence from church this morning mr Warbarlow i had quite made up my mind to go and everything was quite ready when i did not feel quite so well as usual and was ordered to stay at home squire oldglander made his fine old-fashioned bow when he had spoken and held out his hand for the parson to take it as the parson always did with eyes that gave a look of grief and then fell and kind lips that murmured that all things were ordered for the best but instead of the parson's gentle clasp the squire whose sight was beginning to fail together with his other faculties was saluted with a strong rough grasp and a gaze from entirely unclerical eyes how is your worship well nicely i hope charming you look sir as ever i see sir i thank you i am in good health but i have not the honour of remembering your name smith your worship john smith at your service as he was the day before yesterday out of sight out of mind the old saying is i suppose you find it so sir with this home thrust delivered quite unwittingly mr smith sat down his opinion was that her majesty's service levelled all distinctions mr oglander gave him one glance like the keen look of his better days and then turned away and gazed round the room for something out of sight but never likely to be out of mind the old man was weak and knew his weakness in the presence of a gentleman he might have broken down and wept and been much better for it but before a man of this sort not a sign would he let out of the sorrow that was killing him it had been settled by all doctors when the squire was in his first illness that nothing should be said by smith or any one else without great cause, about the trouble which was ever in the heart of all the house, nothing at least to the squire himself for fear of exciting him fatally. Little rumors might be filtered through the servants towards him, especially through mother Hookham, who put hopeful grains of paradise into the heavy beer of fact. Such things did the old man good, his faith in the lord when beginning to flag was renewed by fibs of this good old woman and each confirmed the other in former days he would have resented and nipped in the bud kind-hearted as he was john smith's familiarity but now he had no heart to care about any such trifles he begged mr smith to take a chair quite as if he were waiting to be invited then weak as he was he tottered to the bell-pull rather than ask his guest to ring. John Smith jumped up to help, but felt uncertain what good manners were. "'Mary,' said the squire when Mary came, "'you always look out of the window, I think, to see the people come out of church.' "'Never, sir, never, except whenever I feels wicked not to have been there myself. Such time it seemeth to do me good, like smelling of the good words over there.' yes that is very right all i want to know is whether mr warbelow is coming up here no sir not this time i believe he seemed to have got a young lady with him, as wore a blue cloak with three slashes to the sleeve and a bonnet with yellow french roses in it and a striped skirt made of the very same stuff as i seed into cavils no not cavils to other shop over the way round the corner likewise her head then mary bring in the dinner if you please this gentleman will dine with me instead of mr warbelow well now if i ever did mrs hookham exclaimed to herself in the passage why must have been a sort of a gentleman master wouldn't dine along master cripps but to my mind zack would be the gentleman afore he the squire's oblique little sarcasm, if sarcasm at all it were, failed to hit Mr. Smith altogether. He cordially accepted plate and spoon, and fell to at the soup, which was excellent. The soup was followed by a fine sirloin, whereupon Mr. Oglander, through some association of ideas, could not suppress a little sigh. "'Never sighed your meat, sir. Give me the carving knife, sir.' if you are unequal to the situation to sigh at such a sirloin oh fie fie i was thinking of someone who always used to like the brown the old man said in the simplest manner as if an apology were needed well sir i like the brown very much i will put it by for myself sir and help you to an inner slice here Mary, a plate for your master quick everything will be cold my goodness and who sliced this horse-radish pray for slicing it is not scraping mary was obliged to bite her tongue to keep in any way mannersome when the door was thrown open and in came her mother with her face quite white and both hands stretched on high oh my oh my a sin i call it a wicked cruel sinful sin widow hookham exclaimed as soon as she could speak the village all over the parish in two days time at the latest it will be oh how could your worship allow of it give your mamma a glass of wine my dear said mr john smith as the widow fell back with violent menace of fainting or worse while the poor squire expecting some new blow folded his tremulous hands to receive it take a good drink ma'am and then relieve your system that crips! oh that crips! exclaimed Mrs. Hookham as soon as the wine, which first went the wrong way, had taken the right direction. If ever a daughter of mine hath Cripps, in spite of two stockings of money, they say. What is it about Cripps? asked the squire in a voice that required an immediate answer. The first news of his trouble had come through Cripps, and now in his helpless condition he always connected the name of the carrier with the solution, if one there should be, he hath done a thing he ought to be ashamed on screamed mrs hookham with such excitement that they were forced to give her another glass of wine he hath brought into this parish and the bosom of his family pestilence and death he hath and who be he to do such a thing a road-faring two-penny carrier cripps charges a good deal more than twopence said mr oglander quietly for his hopes and fears were once more postponed he hath brought the worst load ever were brought cried the widow growing eloquent black death and the plague and a murrain of egypt hath come in through cripps the carrier how much will he charge beckley your worship how much shall beckley pay him when she mourneth for her children when she spreadeth forth her hands and seeketh north and south and cannot find them because they are not. What is it, good woman? cried Smith impatiently. What is all this uproar? Do tell us and have done with it. Good man, replied Widow Hookham tartly, my words are addressed to your betters, sir. Your worship knoweth well that Master Cale hath leave and license for his Sunday dinner, ever since his poor wife died he sitteth with a knife and fork to the right side of our cook-maid he were that genteel i do assure you although his appearance bespeaketh it not and city gents may look down on him he had such a sense of propriety not a word did he say all the time of dinner to raise an objection to the weakest stomach but as soon as he see that all were done in the parlour dinner afterward he layeth his finger on his lips and looketh to me as the prime authority and when i ask him to speak out no secrets being among good friends what he said were a deal too much for me or any other christian person well well ma'am if your own dinner was respected you might have showed some respect for ours mr smith exclaimed very sadly beholding the gravy in the channel dish margined with grease AND THE NOBLE SIRLOIN WEEPING WITH LOST OPPORTUNITY. BUT MR. OGLANDER TOOK NO NOTICE. TO SUCH THINGS HE WAS INDIFFERENT NOW. TO KEEP THE MIND DWELLING UPON EARTHLY victuals, THE WIDOW REPLIED SEVERELY, ON THE LORD'S DAY, AND WITH THE DAY OF THE LORD A HANGING SPECIAL OVER US, SUCH THINGS AS BEYOND ME TO DEAL WITH, AND CALLS FOR MR. WARBELOW. CARRIER Cripps HATH SENT HIS SISTER OVER TO NURSE SQUIRE OVERSHOOT john smith pretended to be busy with his beef but mary who made a point of watching whatever he did without well knowing why startled as she was by her mother's words this girl had her quick eyes upon his face and was sure that it lost colour as the carved sirloin of beef had done from the trickling of the gravy overshoot nurse mr overshoot cried the squire with great astonishment "Why?" what ails mr Overshoot? it is a long time since i have seen him and i thought that he had perhaps forgotten me he used to come very often when-but who am i to tempt him when my darling was here in the time of my darling everybody came to visit me now nobody comes and of course it is right there is nobody for them to look at now and no one to make them laugh a little uh, she used to make them laugh till i was quite jealous i do believe not of myself bless your heart but of her because i never liked her to have too much to say to anybody unless it was one who could understand her and nobody ever turned up that was able in any way to understand her except her poor old father sir the squire at the end of this long speech which had been a great deal too much for him stood up and flourished his fork which should have been better employed in feeding him and looked from face to face in fear that he had made himself ridiculous nobody laughed at him or even smiled and he was pleased with this and resolved never to give such occasion again because it would have shamed him so and after all it was his own business None of these people could have any idea, and he hoped they never might have. By this time his mind was dropping softly into some confusion, and feeling it so, he sat down again, and drank the glass of wine which Mary Hookham kindly held for him. For a few minutes Mr. John Smith had his flourish, to let both the women be sure who he was, all about the queen, and the law of the land, and the jurisdiction of the bench, and he threatened the absent cripps with three months imprisonment and perhaps the treadmill he knew that he was talking unswept rubbish but his audience was female they had listened to him without leaving off their work and their courage increased as his did but presently mr oglander who had seemed to be taking a nap arose and said as clearly as ever he had said anything in his clearest days "'Mary, go and tell Charles to put the saddle on the mare at once.' "'Oh, lor, sir, whatever you're thinking of. "'Lor a mercy, sir, I couldn't do it, I couldn't. "'You ain't been a horseback for nigh four months, "'and your orders is to keep quiet in your chair "'and not even look out o' window, sir. "'Do we please to go into your slippers, sir?' "'I will not go into my slippers, Mary.' I will go into my boots. I hear that Mr. Overshoot is ill, and I gather from what you have all been saying that his illness is of such a kind that nobody will go near him. I have wronged the young gentleman bitterly, and I will do my best to right myself. If I never do another thing, I shall ride to shot over this day. Order the mare, as I tell you and the air will do me good. Please, God. End of chapter 28